Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right. We are now heading into part four of our message series called The Foolishness of God. This message series has been all about how God's ways are so different than our ways. We can even look at a similar concept, maybe like love or forgiveness. And we as humans will have one way of understanding these things or practicing these things. But God shows us a better way. Something so much better than anything we could possibly dream of because God is infinitely wise. So we want to recap a little bit here and then we're going to get into today's message. So far in this series... We've learned that God's ways are different than ours. His thinking, his wisdom, and his heart. We've looked at the life of David. We've looked at the life of Matthew and how those two, they were unlikely people to become either a king in David's case or a, dis- or a disciple of Jesus in Matthew's case. And, and in God's wisdom, in the, in the work of Jesus, they still did something marvelous despite all the things that we thought would unqualify them. And this week we're going to look at uh, a woman from the Old Testament named Rahab. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to pray and then we're going to look at Joshua 2. So if you want to start to turn in your Bible while I'm praying, I'm cool with that. Just go for it. Joshua 2 is where we're going to be reading from in just a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that your wisdom is far greater than ours. Your thoughts are above our thoughts and your ways are above our ways. It's greater than anything we can imagine. And because of that, Jesus, we need to trust you. I pray that today we would lay down anything that we would count on as human wisdom or our own understanding. Those things do not even come close to matching what you offer us. I pray that we would put away our own thinking and instead we would take up the wisdom of God as we rely on you through prayer and through understanding more about this world through the lens of scripture. Jesus, please give us understanding today once again as we talk about something amazing that happens in the life of Rahab and something amazing that you also want to do in our life. Amen. Okay, so let's turn now. To Joshua 2. So I'll give us a little bit of uh, just leading up to this story. Right now in this chapter, Joshua is preparing God's people, the Israelites, to enter the promised land. He sends two spies ahead to scope out the land, especially the city of Jericho. While in Jericho, the two spies, they stay at the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Why? Why would they choose to stay at a prostitute's house? Well, maybe it was a strategic plan uh, so that they could lay low there because not too many people would think twice about a strange man entering the home of a prostitute. Maybe it was a good cover. Nonetheless, they are in there. They're at Rahab's house. And the king of Jericho found out that these two spies from Israel were at Rahab's house. He sent some of his men with a message to Rahab telling her to turn them in. And in Joshua 2, verse 4 to 6, we read this. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men come, they came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, it was time to close the city gate. They left, and I didn't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the king's men, they come looking for these two spies and and Rahab 
she lies. She sends them on a wild goose chase. Why would she do this? Why did Rahab choose to protect these spies from the king and his men? Well, we find the answer here as we look at Joshua 2, verse 8 to 13. Before the spies lay down for the night, she, Rahab, went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Okay, interesting passage here. Let's pause for a moment, and I want to take note of three things that, that we read about in these verses. The first thing is this. Clearly, Rahab believes in God. Rahab had heard about how the Lord had been with the Israelites, parting the Red Seas and helping them defeat the Amorites, and she concluded that this God of the Israelites must be the real God. So she decided to put her faith in God too. Stories, ama stories of amazing things, they spread in those days just like they do today. Forty years after God parted the Red Seas for the Israelites to walk across on dry ground and escape the Egyptians, people are still talking about it. This powerful message that God made, this powerful God, sorry, had made a name for himself across the earth and people were realizing that God saves his people. Now Rahab, because of this, is a believer in the God of heaven. That's number one. Number two thank you very much, is Rahab fears God because of the past. She knows that God is capable of doing those things. She knows what God is capable of doing to those who oppose him and, and those who, and those who she, and because of that, sorry. Uh, let me say that again. I botched that one. I, I'm going to say that again. Rahab fears God because of the past. She knows what God is capable of doing to those who oppose him, and she fears God now because of that. And rightly so. Rahab should fear God, and so should we. How does, she how does her fear manifest itself? In submission to God. She protects those two spies by hiding them from the king's men. Rahab understands that God is with these two spies and she fears godly repercussions more than the repercussions from her own king. So she does not turn these spies in. Third thing is Rahab also fears God for the future. Rahab asks the spies to spare her and her family when Israel comes to attack Jericho. She has no doubt that because God is with the Israelites, they will defeat her city. She had seen God work for his people before, so why wouldn't he do it again? 
The spies agree that they will spare her family, telling her to have them all in her house on the day of the attack and to leave a scarlet cord or a rope hanging outside her window as a sign to them to spare her home. After they make this arrangement, uh, Rahab lets the spies escape through a window in her house that looks out through the city wall, and these Israelite spies are able to escape Jericho safely. In Joshua 6, we read about the conclusion to this amazing story, the famous account of Jericho's walls crashing down. We're not sure if it's an angel or if it's the pre-incarnate Jesus himself standing before Joshua, but a man identified as the commander of the army of the Lord gives Joshua instructions about how to defeat Jericho. So, as instructed, the armies of Israel march around Jericho once a day for six days in a row. Then on the seventh day, they march around Jericho seven times. Joshua 6, verse 16 and 17. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are, are to be devoted to the Lord. That means destroyed. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. So the trumpets are sounded, the army shouted, and the walls of Jericho collapse. Then Joshua sent in the same two spies who were there earlier, and they safely brought out Rahab and her family. Joshua 6, 24 and 25. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And this is amazing. And she lives among the Israelites to this day or to the day that this was written. What an awesome story. Just such an interesting twist. When we see spies, they're caught. We think, oh, what's going to happen? And they're saved by someone who's their, one of their enemies, technically. I have two reactions personally after I read a story like this. The first one is this. What an amazing faith that Rahab developed. Simply by hearing about God, the God of the Israelites, that was enough to convince her to fear God, have faith in God, and desire to not cross or go against God in any sort of disobedience. I think that's pretty amazing because we think about this in terms of I have to tell you about Jesus or you have to tell me about Jesus before I can understand who he is. But clearly just through God revealing himself in another person, Rahab is able to put her faith in him. My second reaction is this. And this is showing my flesh a little bit more. How can someone living such an immoral life as a prostitute, be commended for their faith. This is puzzling to me. This seems illogical, and it goes against everything that I would say makes sense. It feels like there's a contradiction here between Rahab's faith and the, the lack of morality in her life in, in you know, terms of her career choice. So to figure this out, we need to compare what we think we know about Rahab with what God says is true about Rahab. So we're going to look at a couple of things here. First, what we think we know about Rahab. I look at Rahab and I see uh, conflicting actions. She's a prostitute, but she helps these two spies. Very different actions, right? I see that and I think to myself, can faith really exist 
in a person like this. If she truly fears God, wouldn't she give up the wretched life that she is in? In this line of thinking, we find a problem that I think or that I believe is common in Christians today. A lot of us in the church, we have prioritized behavior modification over heart transformation. We value someone's outward actions more than their inner desires. We look at what a person does and we make judgments about, about them based on if they act in a certain way or not that is pleasing to us. You know, I look at a person like Rahab and my human reaction, honestly and ashamedly, I say, hmm, I kind of doubt that she's a follower of God. She doesn't act like one in my opinion. Whew, that's a dangerous way to think. Let me share a couple of stories with you. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, um, there were a few students, a new group of students that started to attend our youth group. It was a group of, you know, two or three friends. They came to youth one night, and after our, our time of worship and our time of teaching was over, and we were just kind of hanging out and visiting, playing some games, eating some snacks, this group of friends, they slipped outside, and they began smoking cigarettes. One of my volunteers went out there and told them to put out their cigarettes. She came in and found me then quite upset, and she told me that there were kids smoking outside. But she assured me that she told them to stop immediately. I asked her, well, why did you tell them to stop? And she replied, why? Because they shouldn't be doing that. I told her, well, honestly, it's not the end of the world. I don't mind if they smoke. And she had a shocked look on her face. I began to explain that it's not ideal for them to smoke. I would agree. But why don't we rather help them to know and love Jesus rather than focusing on external behavior first? See, it's, it's interesting how we look at the situation and we say, I'm uncomfortable with this. They need to stop doing that rather than I can give them grace. And rather, I want to help them to know Jesus the way I do. You know, it's just a funny human reaction. Another story here. Uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor at a large church told me uh, a story about how he was leading a group of people, teaching them how to serve in the prayer ministry at their church. There were several people in this group, and among them was a woman who was a brand new Christian and a woman who had been a Christian for a long time and had been a part of their church for a long time as well. After the training session was over, the woman who had been in the church for many years quickly came and told my friend that he needed to say something to the brand new Christian about the way that she was dressed. Her top was way too low cut and it was far too inappropriate for church. My friend agreed saying that, yeah, the top was too low cut but he wasn't going to say anything to this new Christian and neither was the person who had been in the church for a long time. They weren't supposed to say anything to the new Christian either. The longtime Christian woman demanded, why not? My friend said, because I don't want her to hear in her first time volunteering in a church that she doesn't look right. But how often do we do that? When we prioritize the exterior and we minimize what God is doing inter internally. We are all guilty of projecting our expectations on people, aren't we? I know I am. I absolutely have this as a fault in my life. When I do that, 
I might be condemning someone who God has lovingly accepted and forgiven. You know who else condemns those that God has lovingly accepted and forgiven? The devil. In Revelation 12 verse 10, Satan is described as the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. Notice that Satan isn't the accuser of anyone, but of our brothers and sisters specifically. Satan accuses Christians. We are his target. Satan sees the faults that we have. He sees the sins that we commit and he focuses in on those things. He beats on those things, trying to bring them to God's attention day and night. He reminds God of how awful we are and how much our sins are a violation against God. If I find fault in another Christian whom God has accepted through faith, if I focus on someone else's sins, I'm no different in my attitude towards that person than Satan himself. Because of this attitude that wants to creep in, I am praying and I will continue to pray probably for the rest of my life. God, please help me to see people through your eyes of grace and love and compassion and not through my eyes of performance and judgment. To know how to see people with God's eyes, we need to ask, what does God see when he looks at people? And we can also ask that by saying, what, what does God say is true about Rahab? Well, first, God says that Rahab is a woman of faith. In a beautiful remembrance of Rahab's life, in the passage that we refer to as the hall of faith from, Romans, or from Hebrews 11, verse 31 says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab believed that God was the one true God. Because of this, she did what was good in the eyes of God, sparing the Israelite spies. In return, God spared her life by giving her favor with the army of Israel. Rahab's faith in God wasn't a sham. It wasn't a, I guess I'll try this out. It was legitimate. It was real. It was genuine. So beautifully, God sees Rahab as a woman of faith. Second, God sees Rahab as righteous. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, look at the proud one. The soul, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by, in, by his faith in the one true God. Rahab wasn't arrogant towards God. She appropriately humbled herself, fearing the living God. If she was proud and hard-hearted, she wouldn't have worried once about the Israelites destroying Jericho. She would have laughed it off or shrugged it off or ignored it like the rest of her city may have been thinking about. Although they were fearful, they did not turn to God. Her humility and fear of the Lord caused her to live by faith. Faith is what made her righteous in the eyes of God. This is the amazing gift that we can learn about through Rahab's life. It's not what Rahab does or doesn't do that makes her righteous. It's her faith in God alone that allows her to be a recipient of God's righteousness. And that's the point. Our righteousness can never be 
a result of our own actions. We receive righteous standing with God because he gives it to us as a gift. See, that's the major flaw in my thinking. I look at someone's actions and I say, hmm, are they a righteous person? Are they a good person? And that's based on my understanding of righteousness, my judgment of them. But God looks at someone and says, I know that their actions are sinful. Because I love them, I've forgiven them. And if they've put their faith in me, I make them righteous. It's not by our deeds. It's by God's grace and mercy. I love this verse, uh, Romans 3, verse 21 and 22 explains this a little bit better. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this, true, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Isn't it amazing that we think, oh, God has laws, he has rules, he has all these things. I have to follow those. And if I do that, God will accept me. But verse 21 said, God has shown us a way to be made right with him, but without keeping the requirements of the law. Not because he doesn't want us to, not because he doesn't want us to strive for those things, but because we can't do it. We can never pull it off. We can never meet the requirements of God's law. That's why he forgave us when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of ourselves. No, the righteousness of God. You see that? We put our faith in him and he gives us righteousness. And, and as an example, this, this concept didn't just work in Rahab's life, but it worked in other uh, Old Testament saints as well. Uh, Genesis 15, verse 6. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous. Why? Because of his faith, not his actions. Rahab's actions in saving those Israelite spies did not make her righteous. Her actions were an expression of the righteousness she already received from God. Because Rahab had faith and God counted her as righteous, she then did something righteous as a demonstration or the um, reciprocal part of her faith. That's why James 2 verse 24 and 25 says something like, Do you see we are shown to be made right with God by what we do, not by faith alone? Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be made right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Once again, faith comes first. Righteousness is the response to faith. And that is a complete picture of our faith. But righteousness isn't what or our good actions, good deeds don't earn us that righteousness with God. Think about this. God revealed himself to Jericho through his actions with his chosen people, the Israelites. Out of all the citizens of Jericho, the Bible only records that Rahab responds to God in faith. God sees Rahab's faith and now considers her righteous. The righteous standing she had with God caused her to act righteously as well. If I don't have faith in God, I can't act righteously. I might be able to act ethically or morally on a human level, but never will I be righteous in the eyes of God. 
Some of us may still, after hearing all this, we might still say, but hang on a second, I object. Rahab was a prostitute, Jeff. There's nothing righteous about that. How can we say that she was righteous through her faith when there's no indication that she even gave up that lifestyle? Well, I agree. Yes, Rahab was a prostitute, and that in and of itself isn't a righteous thing. Just like there's nothing righteous about the times when we lie, when we covet, when we act in anger or jealousy, apathy, when we act judgmentally like we do when we can't get over someone else's sin, when we act in laziness, greed, lust, selfishness, negativity, gossip, slander, when we lack compassion, when we worry, when we operate in fear, or we show favoritism. All of those things, all of them, are things that God has forgiven us for, just like he forgave Rahab for her sin. We may habitually struggle with these things for the rest of our life, yet God's forgiveness is so permanent and so everlasting that he covers them off even when we struggle to make a change and act righteously, though God calls us righteous. You and I are just like Rahab. But thankfully, God doesn't define us by our sin, but by his righteousness given to us. The big takeaway today is this. Rahab gives us hope. Really, instead of questioning Rahab, trying to find fault in her or anyone else who struggles with sin, we should be thanking God for Rahab. She is an example to us of God's incredible grace. If Rahab can be called righteous by God, then surely God will also do the same thing in me and in you. In fact, God has called us righteous if we have put our faith in him. It's not a feeling, it's a fact. God calls us righteous. Don't rely on your actions, don't rely on your feelings, rely on God, and then act accordingly. How different is God's way from the world's way? Infinitely different. We make people earn favor, or righteousness, or good standing, or respect with us. God gives it to us when we have faith, and he gives it to us as a gift. I'm so glad that God does things his way and not mine. In my life, I have felt disqualified so many times because I haven't done things the right way. I have felt as though I'm not good enough. I didn't measure up to my own standards, let alone God's standards. But this is why Rahab is remembered in the Bible. God wants us to see the power that his grace has in her and also that his grace has in our life. Friends, if you have put your faith in God, you are righteous. Not by the world's standards, but by a better standard. God's standards. You know, I would like to end with with some prayer together now. And then we're going to have a closing song. When I look at a message like this, I just don't know how else to respond to this amazing understanding of God's gift of righteousness through faith rather than praising him. So I'm going to ask you to take a moment right now and thank God for his gift of righteousness. Thank him that we can receive this through faith and it's not something that we can earn. That's a good thing. If it was something that we could earn, we wouldn't even need God. And now we need to also ask God to help us to see ourselves and others 
through his eyes, through the eyes of grace and compassion. My wife and I are going to get set here to play a closing song. But while we do that, pray over these things on the screen. Pray for these things and let's, let's give God glory as a response to his righteousness in us.